Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Landscaping is going to be one of the first things people see when they come to your property, so you want to make sure that it is nice and clean. So if it's not, you're going to have to do that once you've taken over the property and budget for it. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean... This is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes get that ultimate rental property tax guide there needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail and we thought hey why not make it free too that's why we launched syndication school and theo hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, 
go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes that make up a larger series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer some sort of document or spreadsheet or resource for you to download for free. All of these free documents, as well as past Syndication School series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to be a continuation of a six-part series. This is going to be part four, and that series is entitled How to Underwrite a Value-Add Apartment Deal. Now, if you haven't done so already, I recommend that you listen to parts one through three, because if you don't, some of this stuff might not make sense, because we're continuing where we left off from last episode. In part one, you learned the four things that you need in order to underwrite a value-add apartment deal, which are the T12, the rent roll, the offering memorandum, and the financial model. And then we went through steps one through three of the overall seven-step underwriting process, which is step one, read the OM, step two, input the rent roll data, and step three, input the T12 data. And when I mean input, I mean input it into your financial model, which if you want to have a starter, we are giving away a free simplified cash flow calculator, which you can find in the show notes of this show, or you can find at syndicationschool.com. Then in part two, we introduced the step four, which is setting your assumptions. But before we went into discussing those, we went over 27 ways to add value to apartment deals because when you are doing a value-add deal, you're going to be doing some renovations and you need to know what renovations you're actually going to do before you set your renovation assumptions. So we went through some of the ways that, that we add value to our deals and other common ways to add value to deals to give you some ideas of what you can do to your deals. Then in step three, we actually began diving into the assumptions that you need. And the first set of assumptions that we started discussing will help you determine how much money you need to raise. So we discussed setting your acquisition fee assumption, closing costs assumption, financing fee assumption, operating account fund assumption. And then we began to discuss the renovation cost assumptions. So we kind of went high level how to determine what renovations you're going to do and some strategies to do that when you're just starting out and don't necessarily know how much it costs to install a dog park or how much it costs to place cabinets. And then we kind of went over some questions to ask yourself in order to determine your overall interior budget. Let me stop there. So we're going to begin this episode by continuing that first batch of assumptions, which will help you determine how much money you need to raise. And that is going to be the exterior renovations. So we're still on point number four, which is renovation costs. We discussed the interiors. Now we're going to talk about the exteriors. So the exterior renovations will fall into two buckets. One is going to be the cost to address any deferred maintenance on the big ticket items and amenities. And number two is going to be the costs to upgrade the exteriors. So deferred maintenance is going to be things that just need to be done. You're not necessarily going to get a return on investment. It's just things that are in disarray or not repaired properly or are old or deteriorating and need to be replaced. And then the second one are going to be amenities that you are going to create or upgrade in order to attract new residents. So for the second bucket, those amenities, 
we talked about those in 27 ways to add value. So there are things like adding a dog park. Other things like renovating the clubhouse or adding a clubhouse. Renovating or adding a fitness center. Adding a playground. Upgrading the pool. Things like that that will increase the appeal of your property. Landscaping overhaul. Rebranding the property with new signage. Whereas the first bucket is what we're going to be talking about now. Because we already talked about the second bucket of the amenities. So some questions that you want to ask yourself and that you want to find the answers to. Either in the OM or added to the list of questions that you ask the broker. Are going to be one, what is the roof type? So you need to know what kind of roof the property has. I guess we'll get into why you need to ask that question. So first, what is the roof type? Typically, flat roofs are going to be less expensive to actually buy and repair, but they're not going to last as long as a pitched roof. So which leads us to our second question. When was the roof last replaced? So flat roofs typically have an average life of around 15 years, whereas pitched roofs have an average life of around 25 years. So if you determine that the property has a flat roof that was replaced 20 years ago, then you're most likely going to need to replace it either right away or at some point during the business plan. And if you have to replace it at any time in the business plan, then you want to account for that up front because roofs are pretty expensive and you're not going to want to have to pull six months worth of cash flow to replace a roof halfway through the business plan. You would much rather raise that money up front and replace it up front. Similarly, if it's a pitch roof that was replaced 15 years ago and you're projected business plan is only five years, then you most likely won't have to replace that roof. But still, if it's close to the end of its life and it has the possibility of needing to be repaired during the business plan, then make sure that you have the roof checked out. Next question is, what is a siding type and when was it last replaced? So typically, vinyl siding is going to last about 60 years, whereas aluminum siding is going to last about 25 years. If it's brick, you don't necessarily have to worry about it because brick can last a long, long time. So unless you see any issue with the brick, then you should not have to be replacing any brick during the business plan. So again, similar to the roof, if you're getting towards the useful life of the siding, then you need to determine whether or not you're going to replace it up front and the cost associated with replacing it. Next is when was the last time the property was painted? So even if the vinyl or the aluminum siding or the brick is in good condition, it was replaced well before the end of its useful life, you still need to know when the property was last painted because painting does not last as long as the last 60 years or 25 to 45 years. Typically, you want to repaint the property every 5 to 10 years. So unless it was just painted, you're likely going to need to paint it once you've taken over management. Next is going to be when was the clubhouse last renovated. So if it was recently renovated or not, you're still going to want to compare the quality of the clubhouse to the comps that you're using and to see what's the quality of the competition's clubhouse and what types of amenities are offered in that clubhouse. You don't necessarily need to match the types of amenities that are offered, but the quality should be very similar. So if your quality is not similar and you're using rental comps that have much nicer clubhouses, then you should consider renovating the clubhouse. Next is what is the condition of the pool and the pool furniture? So does the pool need repair? Do you need to replace the pool furniture with nicer chairs, nicer umbrellas, maybe add a grilling area? Next, when was the last time the landscaping was done? So when's the last time they've invested a large amount of money into getting the landscaping overhauled? Landscaping is going to be one of the first things people see when they come to your property. So you want to make sure that it is nice and clean. So if it's not, you're going to have to do that once you've taken over the property and budget for it. Next, what are the ages of the boilers or HVAC system? Typically, HVAC lasts 15 to 20 years and they claim boilers last 10 to 15 years, but from my understanding from boiler experts, the life of a boiler is dependent on 
how much maintenance and the maintaining was done to the boilers. So the boilers were inspected every year and cleaned out every year, then they could last 30, 40, 50 years. If the boilers haven't been looked at for 10 years, then they're going to have a much lower life and you might have to replace those once you've taken over the property. Next, you want to ask yourself, are there individual water heaters or is there one water heater per building? And typically, the average life of water heaters are about 15 years. So again, if you're getting towards the end of that useful life, you might have to replace that during the course of the business plan. Another question to ask yourself was, when was the last time the parking lot was restriped? So if you go there and you see the parking lot's faded and there's a lot of cracks, then you might want to consider restriping and repairing that parking lot once you've taken over the property. And then anything else that you want to add to the property, again, like dog park, patios, what are the things that your competition are doing to get higher rents that you want to do at your property, and what is going to be the cost associated with all of those? So I guess those were a blend of those two buckets, the deferred maintenance and the nicer amenities. Essentially, you want to determine what is the condition of the current big ticket items, roof, siding, HVAC, parking lot, pool, clubhouse and determine how much it's going to cost to repair those and get those back up to the high quality that you want. And then you want to ask yourself, what amenities do I want to add to this property? Is there a large green space where I can add a playground or a dog park? Do I want to add a couple of things to the clubhouse? Do I want to add valet trash to a couple of the units? Do I want to add carports or patios? So go take a look at that list of 27 ways to add value and see if those types of things are in demand in the market that the property is located. And If you decide to move forward with one of those, determine what the cost is going to be. So once you've set your interior budget and your exterior budget based off of the way I've explained, then you are going to also want to set a contingency budget. So you don't want to just say, all right, well, I've got my estimates for the interiors. I've got my estimates for the exteriors. That's exactly how much it's going to cost. I don't have to worry about it. Instead, you want to say, well, here's my estimates, but you haven't seen every single nook and cranny of the property yet. So you have no idea what's hidden behind the walls because you haven't seen every single unit yet. You haven't seen every single amenity. You don't necessarily know exactly how much it's going to cost. So in order to give yourself a little bit of a cushion, you're going to want to add a contingency, which is going to be a percentage of that overall budget. We typically use around 15%. So if our overall interior exterior budget is $1 million, then we would add an additional $150,000 to make it a total of $1.15 million budget which includes that contingency. So we are able to overspend by $150,000 and still be within budget. And if you go over budget, then hopefully you have enough money left over in your operating fund to cover those overspends. So that right there, the interior, exterior, and the contingency will make up that fifth assumption, the renovation cost assumption, which will help you determine how much equity you need to raise on the deal. The last one is going to be your loan down payment. So how much money do you actually need to pay to the lender for them to finance your deal? So the two ways to determine this number is either through an LTV or LTC. So as I believe I mentioned in the previous episode, the two main types of loan overall are going to be ones that include renovations and ones that don't include renovations. Generally, if they don't include renovations, then they're going to loan based off of an LTV, which is the loan to value, which is... Essentially, they will loan up to a certain percentage of the value of the property, and you'll have to cover the rest. So, for example, if the lender says that they will provide an 80% LTV loan, 
on a million dollar property, that means that they will loan you $800,000 or 80% of a million and you'll have to bring $200,000 to the table. The other one is a loan to cost, LTC, and you might see that if you're getting a bridge loan or some sort of loan that includes the renovation costs. And that means that they will loan up to a certain percentage of the project costs to you. So if the bank says that we'll provide you with an 80% loan to cost, and let's say the, the purchase price is $800,000 and the renovations are $200,000 for a total project costs of a million dollars, then they'll loan up to $800,000 and you'll have to bring $200,000 to the table. Typically, you're going to see anywhere between 65% to 85% loan to value, loan to cost, depending on the deal and the loan program. Typically, it's going to be lower for deals that don't include renovations and maybe a little bit higher for deals that do include the renovations. Now, obviously, in order to determine what you're basing that LTV off of, because you know, you're going to want to input into the cash flow calculator the LTV of the loan program you're using, but you're still going to need a purchase price because typically the value of the property should be around what the purchase price is, so you're going to want to input a purchase price. Now, something that's very common for the large multifamily deals, and I'd say for the majority of multifamily deals, a large majority of multifamily deals, is that there won't be a purchase price listed. So you'll get an OM and it will say price to be determined by the market, which means that they don't have a price listed. Now, if you don't input a purchase price into the cash flow calculator, you'll get a lot of errors. In particular, you won't be able to have a finalized estimate of how much money you need to raise for your deal. So there's a few ways to kind of go about it. Number one, in your list of questions to the broker, you can ask them what cap rate they expect this property to trade at. So rather than saying, hey, how much money does the owner want for the property? An indirect way to get that number is to ask the broker what cap rate they think the property will trade at. So they come back to you and say, I think this property is going to trade at a 5% cap rate. Well, you know how to determine value using cap rate and NOI. So go to the T12 or the... Typically, I go to what they claim the T12 NOI was in the OM, and I'll divide that by that 5%, that cap rate that's offered. And then whatever that number is, is what I believe the owner wants for the deal. Not necessarily exactly what he wants. It might be a little low, it might be a little high, but if the broker's telling me that they think the property is trading at this specific cap rate, I'm assuming that they are saying that because the owner has a price in mind, and that's the cap rate that supports that price. So you'll have an idea of how much money you'll have to spend on the property. You can input that in your cash flow calculator and everything else will auto-populate due to the formulas. And once you input the rest of your assumptions, you'll have an exact amount of money that you need to put down and you'll have your cash on cash and IRR numbers. That's one way to determine the purchase price. Another way is just to ask the broker how much money the owner wants, what's the whisper price, and they might give you a range of numbers. And the third way is to wait to the very end of the inputting process. So that's going to actually be step number five, and that would be to determine an offer price by an iterative process. So you keep changing the purchase price until you get the returns that you want. But we'll go into more details on that in step number five, which we'll likely be discussing uh, next week. So once you've input your acquisition cost assumption, you've inputted your closing costs, financing fees, operating account fund, renovation costs, and your loan LTV and you're set up to determine how much money you need to raise. And if you have a purchase price, input that and you know exactly how much money you need to raise. If you don't, 
then you can follow one of those three strategies that I discussed. Either one, ask the broker for a cap rate. Number two, ask the broker for a whisper price. Number three, determine the offer price via the iterative process. So those are the six things that you need in order to determine how much money you need to raise. And well, and those are also six assumptions that you'll need to input in your cash flow calculator in order to make your five-year pro forma. The next set of assumptions, we're going to go through as many of these can until the end of the episode, and then we'll finish off the assumptions next week. But the next set of assumptions are going to be the growth assumptions. So you're going to want to input a annual revenue growth assumption and annual expense growth assumption. Now, this is not revenue growth or expense growth from anything that you've necessarily done to the property. So the revenue growth do not include your rental premiums. They don't include any other income that you're going to start collecting from increasing your fees, adding paid parking, things like that. These are just based off of just natural income growth over time, as well as natural expense growth over time. So the natural yearly appreciation on rent, the annual nearly appreciation on the other income, the extra money each year that the vendors have built in so that they keep up with inflation. So you're going to be paying extra money to them each year because the costs are only going to go up. Typically, you're going to want to use between 1% to 2% for each of these. So 1% to 2% for your revenue growth and 1% to 2% for your expense growth. Now, something that you might see in an offering memorandum, I'd say it's 50-50 probably, is you might see the broker assuming a much higher revenue growth. So revenue growth that's 4%, 5%, 6%. And the evidence that they use to support that is that over the past five years, the revenue in this particular market has increased by 6-7% for the past five years. Now, you obviously, you don't want to base your assumptions off of the broker's pro forma, and you shouldn't even have gotten to that point in the process yet because if you remember when you're reading the OM, you stop once you get to the financial analysis section. But eventually, you'll get there, or maybe you snuck a peek anyways, and you saw that they claimed a 6% revenue growth each year in their pro forma based off of the market average. Well, you don't want to do that. Because there's no reason to believe that the next five years are going to be the same as the previous five years. So sure, rents have exploded the past six, seven years by six, seven percent. But there's no guarantee that that's going to continue to happen. So you want to be conservative and work with the smaller two to three percent. And if the rents do continue to grow by six to seven percent each year, then that's more money in your pocket. But if they don't and they only grow a few percentage points or God forbid they don't grow at all or they go down then you're not going to be that far off your projections as you would have been if you used that market average. And same thing for expense growth. They might say that the expenses haven't grown in five years, so you can assume 0%. Well, similarly to the revenue growth, there's no reason to believe that the next five years are going to be the same as the previous five years. So if the expenses do grow by 0%, then more money in your pocket. But if they grow by 2 3 or 4%, then your projections are on money or they are just slightly off. But not off by 4 or 5 6%. Next are going to be, I just call them project assumptions, but essentially you want to input how long you expect the renovations to take and what your projected hold period is. The reason you want to determine the projected renovation timeline is because renovating 100 units over 12 months as opposed to 18 months or 24 months are going to have different net operating incomes because the income is going to be different. So if I tell myself, okay, well, once I renovate all 100 units, I get a $10 premium, so I'll have $1,000 extra per month. Well, how soon are I going to have that $1,000 extra per month? Is it going to be after 12 months, 24 months, 18 months? 
So how long it takes to get that $1,000 per month is going to affect your returns. So the faster you get the renovations done, the higher returns are going to be for the project. Now, keep in mind that just because renovating all the units in 12 months give you the best returns doesn't mean that's actually true. So for example, number one, you want to determine can your management company or whoever's doing the renovations do them that fast? So is it possible for them to do, in our example, if you want to get 100 units done in a year, can they do 9 to 10 units per month? Is that even possible? Is that possible based off of the leasing situation? So are there enough leases expiring within the first month and two months and three months to do all the renovations? Or are all the leases 12 months and the first lease doesn't expire for eight months? Well, it's impossible to do them all in 12 months because you can't kick people out of their units just to renovate them. Now, there are strategies that we've discussed before, but technically speaking, you are not able to end the lease of inherited tenant just because you want to go in there and renovate their unit and make more money. There's protections in place, so you have to wait to the end of their lease to renovate their unit. Also, you want to determine how much it's going to cost in order to do the renovations at that expedited pace. I had a conversation with the management company today who said that the most amount of units they renovated in a month was 40, which is insanely high. And I mentioned that we like to do 10 to 15 per month. And he goes, well, it's possible. But if you only plan on doing a few per month, then we can have our in-house maintenance team do those renovations. But if you want to do 40 per month, then we're going to have to hire multiple outside general contractors and we're going to have to manage all those people. So we're going to charge you 5 to 10% of that overall construction budget. Well, maybe if I did it over 18 months, I wouldn't have to pay that extra 5 to 10%. And paying that extra 5 to 10% in 12 months kind of eliminates the benefits of doing it so quickly. So there's lots of different moving parts. Essentially, you want to determine, one, what rate can your property management company do the renovations or whoever's doing the renovations? And how much money are they going to charge you? And is it even possible to do renovations at that rate based off of the leases? And the other project assumption is going to be the project hold period. And now the reason why you want to know the hold period is number one, it's going to impact your internal rate of return. So your internal rate of return is essentially a time value of money. So if you invest $100 with me and I give you your $100 back in a year, then the IRR is going to be higher than if I give you $100 back in three years. Because in three years, that $100 is going to be worth less than it would be a year from now. So if you are having a five-year hold, then the IRR is not necessarily going to be higher, but it will be different than it would be if you did a seven-year hold or a 10-year hold, uh, depending on the business plan. Plus, the way you have your cash flow calculator set up formula-wise, you're going to need to tell it, hey, this is when I plan on selling the property so that it can pull the sales price using the year five, year seven, year 10 net operating income. So if my projected hold period is five years, then when I set my disposition assumptions, the cost of a calculator will assume that I'm selling at five years. So when I input what I think the exit cap rate is going to be, it'll determine what the sales price will be based off of the net operating income at five years or at seven years or at 10 years. Now, the next set of assumptions are essentially the meat of the cash flow calculator. And this is where you make and break your deal. And this is where you make your money. And those are the stabilized income assumptions and the stabilized expense assumptions. And then the last one that we'll discuss are the debt assumptions. And once we've gotten all the three remaining assumptions done, we will discuss how to set your offer price and discuss the remaining two steps of the underwriting process, which is going to be the rental comps 
and then visiting the property in person. But we're going to stop there for today, and we'll start off next week with the income and the expense assumptions and finish off the step four of the unearning process and then get as far as we can with steps five through seven. And if we have to, we will go to part seven and eight to finish off this series because, again, underwriting is, is super important, and this is kind of where you determine if a deal makes sense to invest in or not. And underwriting, again, is where you are going to either make your investors' money or lose your investors' money. But until then, I recommend listening to the first parts of this series, parts one through three. Check out some of the other syndication school series we've done so far and download your simplified cash flow calculator. All those are available at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow on Follow Along Friday. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account that counts free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Guarino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.